Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and the next voice you hear will not be mine. It will be that of DBB's own Sean Wheeler, who interviewed Detroit Pistons legend Isaiah Thomas for us prior to the playoffs. I'm not even going to say anymore. This interview is a must-listen for all Pistons fans. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what you all are talking about. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing. Otherwise, you'd miss great interviews like this. The best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis, this playoffs. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, Isaiah. How are you? I'm doing great, Isaiah. I got a big smile on my face. Uh, I'm sure you get this a lot, but I'm a tremendous fan of yours from growing up in Michigan. Well, thank you very much. And I I just want to say thank you for all your support and prayers because we needed them all during that period of time. Uh, So we never could have done it without the fan base that we had. So thank you, guys. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I'm here contributing for a website. It's called Detroit Bad Boys on SB Nation. To tell you the truth, this is something I do for fun. Uh, it's not a job for me. It's something I love to do. Um, they've got a lot of very passionate and knowledgeable fans, uh, many of whom, like me, grew up during the Bad Boys era. Uh, you know, so when I was a kid growing up in Detroit, I watched every single regular season game, every playoff game. Uh, I mean, I was the kid on my bed. I was like, if I was sitting on my, on my, if I was laying on my back and you guys started losing, I'd flip over and lay on my stomach to, in hopes that you guys would turn it around. So that's the, that's the kind of player the kid I was. Yeah, it did. It did. And, and, you know, we got spoiled too because we grew up watching the best basketball you could dream of. I don't get excited about talking to many folks, but I am for you. So thanks for taking the, the time to talk with me. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. So what I wanted to ask you about first, believe it or not, is is not something so much with today. But, you know, there is a moment from the Eastern Conference Finals in 1988 that I'm sure you've talked about a number of times. But it's it's probably the moment that for me was one of the most uh, surprisingly emotional uh, when it happened, which was when Kevin McHale wished you well and told you basically to go on and, and beat the Lakers. And, you know, what I was wondering was, you know, that was such a, after having hated the Celtics so much, I'm sure as much as you guys did on a certain level during those years, how did it feel when, when he said that to you? Meaning, like, what was your reaction to seeing that, that kind of a gesture of sportsmanship from someone who was such a fierce rival? It's funny to hear it described that way. <laughs> that's not actually how it happened. <laughs> how did it happen? If you remember, Adrian Bentley was on the foul line shooting a free throw. And I believe there was about a minute and 19 seconds to go in the game. And the Celtics were walking off the floor, in the middle of the floor, as the game was going on. And I had known Mikhail since high school, and we were pretty friendly. And as he walked by, if you remember the shot, I went and grabbed him. He turned around and gave me the handshake and, and responded to me giving him five, saying thank you. And then, and, and then he said, 
go and beat the Lakers. Just don't be happy to beat there. And he turned around and he kept walking. So the way you just described it, this magnanimous moment of him like stopping and shaking my hand and showing great sportsmanship, that is such bullshit. <laughs> 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 That's not how it happened at all. Oh, right? man, the way, that, in my mind, that made me feel so good about him. I started to like him a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, I love Mikhail. And like I said, we, we have been friends since high school and still are very friendly today. But, you know, the, the way that narrative has been spun out there, you know, and again, you can go back and you can look at the game. Adrian, like I said, Bradley was on the foul line shooting the free throw, and they were walking off, so they left. <laughs> yeah, I remember it being odd that he was standing in the middle of the court, you know, when that happened, but you guys were on the court. <laughs> they, their team was walking off. <laughs> That yeah, that that that's funny to hear it that way. I tell you what, after thirty years or so, that's amazing to hear the real version of things. I tell you what, though, I mean, my my favorite visual, though, I have to say, my favorite visual was just that big handshake high five that you guys did. So it, it um, I don't I don't mean to ruin your 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 visuals, but it wasn't a high five. It was a low five. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I could, I could still picture it, but it was more like a slap than it was a handshake. But Isaiah, that smile Thank on your you. face, yeah. that smile on your face when you guys had that handshake was just that low five was just fantastic. Yeah, and I, and I, you know, that was that was a that was an Yeah, for me as a fan, I think for a lot of fans, I don't want to speak for them, but for me as a fan, that moment of finally beating the Celtics was was probably just as much or even more uh, joyful than it was actually winning the championship, you know, when you guys went on to beat the Lakers. Yeah, I would, I would, I would have to say all of it, you know, because the Celtics were, they were such a, a, a tough mountain to climb. And, you know, then going on to face the Lakers, you know, was just as tough a mountain to climb. And having to, to beat both of those great teams at that particular time, you know, it was definitely was a lot of years of, of heartache. Uh, and overcoming and persevering to get there. Yeah, actually, that, that kind of made me think of another question that I had for you related to the way things were back then, you know, first with you, you know, overcoming the Celtics, overcoming the Lakers, and then with what happened with the Bulls, kind of going through a similar path, you know, where they had to overcome you. I, it's funny because I haven't really seen that kind of a dynamic in the NBA in some time. I was wondering if you'd thought about that or if you had any thoughts on why we don't see if it's just free agency or why we don't see that same kind of progression um, anymore that we did during, you know, the 80s and 90s. That I don't know. Uh, there's definitely, um, you know, from the, from the player perspective, um, you know, there's, there's more freedom of movement. Uh, players changing teams, having control of uh, the team that they can play for at a at a young age, um, and I I guess the you know the way younger players in society is 
being brought up uh, nowadays. It's just um, it's just different, and it's and it and appears to be more acceptable. And just, you know, as a fan, I would have to say, you know, I think as a player too, maybe, you know, being with the same guys for such a long time and going through those struggles, I would imagine there's something more validating about that. It might be more meaningful, you know, when you cross over that that threshold than when you, for example, like a Durant, you know, you join on and you win a championship. And I'm sure it's great, but, you know, having that struggle there for so long probably amplified the enjoyment for you guys. Yes, it did. Back then, you were rewarded for and validated for those type of struggles and 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 not only were you rewarded and validated but society um you know admired your your personhood and your growth and uh that was that was a big part of of overcoming and maturing uh not only were you a champion on the floor but then you became a champion off the floor because of your growth and development um, nowadays, um, you know, that, that development, that growth, that personhood off the court is not as much rewarded or even, you know, it's not, a, it's not even a category right now. Um, I don't even think the way analytics is right now, they, they talk about championships as if they're meaningless, um, as, as if, um, you can be you can be lucky and on the right team at the right time and win a championship. So therefore, champion being a champion is not not as meaningful anymore because of the the verbiage and uh, and the language that's around being a champion. Everything is everything is superlative around the individual accolades, not necessarily the the team accolades and the individual sacrifices that you make to win a championship. Right, right. Yeah, I can definitely see that. It actually uh, brings me a little bit into one of the other things I wanted to ask you about, um, with which is with respect to you talked about like growing and, and maturing. And it makes me think of one player in particular for the current Pistons, who I don't know how closely you've been able to watch, you know, them play since the All Star break. But one guy who's just really come into his own has been Andre Drummond. You know, um, as a Pistons fan, you know, who's been watching these games closely, you know, his, he's been playing to his strengths. He's been playing harder, better defense. His free throws are up near 70 percent, you know, since early February. Where, where do you see where do you see him going? Do you see him having, you know, kind of like figured it out? I, I follow every game and I am a Pistons fan. This is you. Are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Um, so, so, so me and you are on the same page and- and when you roll over on your back, I roll over on my back. <laughs> and I hope they both work. <laughs> I, I spoke to Drummond the other night, and I complimented him on uh, the way he worked out over the summer and uh, the, the challenges that he accepted to become a better offensive player, uh, to become a better foul shooter. And most people ridiculed him over the summer for showing video of himself shooting three-point shots. But I admired that uh, because he he wants his game to grow and he wants to continue to get better. And you know, and you can remember this: two years ago, he didn't have a jump hook. Now he's got a nice jump hook in the lane that he shot the other night against the Knicks um, in, at Madison Square Garden. Uh, as you said, foul shooting is up to 70%. When he used to be a guy you had to take out of the game 
for fear of him getting fouled, now he's a guy that you you can depend on him going to the line. So I I, I love his growth in, in, in his rebounding, you know, to, you know, he left the league again in rebounding. And so he's not only to a fantastic young player, uh, but he's also been uh, someone who's been willing to look at the, the faults in his game and try to correct them and get better. And that's what you admire about him. Yeah, and so I guess, you know, that brings me to one more thing. Probably the thing that, that, you know, Pistons fans today, at least the ones that I see on, you know, on the blog, you know, these guys are just, they're they're really concerned and hopeful about what's to come in the future. You know, when, when they see especially the growth of Drummond during the second half of this year, and then with what Blake was able to do this year, you know, in spite of being a little bit run down by, by injuries lately, but with what he was able to do and how he's grown his game and, and now, you know, can shoot from the outside consistently well. Um, I guess the, the conundrum that the Pistons are in is about being able to add, you know, what we all see as a need in, in, of a wing player who can create his own shot and the limitations with, you know, with the salary cap or with their roster construction as it is. Is there, is there, is there something like, you know, given how Drummond is playing and given how Blake has been, you know, seeing those guys as the two centerpieces, do you see a path forward to them to, like, you know, enter that upper echelon of the Eastern Conference in the next couple of years? I mean, we, we all have hope for that. You know, this is, like I say, I'm a fan just like you're a fan. So we, we all hope that, that there is a path and we... And we hope that, um, you know, Aaron Kellum and, and Eric Stefanski, you know, has a, has a, has a path that, that they have carved out that, that will, that will get them there. Uh, but we all hope that, yes. <laughs> now, is there, is there any player out there, Isaiah, any any player that for you, um, you know, whether he's a free agent, whether he's just a guy that you have your eye on that kind of embodies sort of the bad boys mentality or that you see or, or even somebody that you just would see as being a good fit next to, you know, uh, Drummond and Griffin on Detroit? Kevin Durant. <laughs> yeah, I think he'd fit just about anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, he would be perfect with the Pistons next year, man. <laughs> uh, well, well, let me ask. Let me ask you something else, Isaiah. How much do you factor in hard work, work ethic? You know that desire. You know guys diving for loose balls. How much of that do you think is a factor when you know when it looks like teams are out of sync? That that comes down to uh, you know your your mental concentration, and you know when you talk about the bad boys, we we defined and we described ourselves as being a mentally tough team. Um, now, others who 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 try to describe us, they always focus on our physicality mm-hmm. as opposed to focusing on our mentality. We 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 always define ourselves as mentally tough because we are able to sustain concentration for forty eight minutes, and your level of concentration. Uh, when you come into a game and preparing to play a game, uh, it always has to be at its limit. Uh, we may not have, you know, sometimes you shoot the ball well, sometimes you don't. Um, and it, it does and, and, and flows, but at, at the same time, 
the attention to detail and the concentration level must always be, you know, on point at a hundred. Um, and that, that's how we play. So when you, when you talk about teams going up and down, to me it's always a matter of um, their lack of concentration. Yeah, and I'd have to say, it's interesting because I hadn't mentioned it, but, you know, my, my full-time job, I run a business as a hypnotherapist, and part of that is as a mental coach for athletes, you know, and, and so I actually teach them how to concentrate better and help them, you know, through meditation and internal focus, you know, to be at their best, you know, to be at their peak performance level. And it's something that as, you know, I'm a fan, but I'm also watching these games in, in a certain way through that lens. And I definitely see some times when, when it just looks like players' heads aren't completely there. And I think, like I said, going back to watching you guys growing up, I think watching the bad boys myself as a young fan imparted upon me that dedication so that I'm a 44-year-old man. When I play pickup ball, that's how I play. You know, I, have, I dive on the floor, you know, during pickup games, and I'm very intense and so I, I guess that's probably what probably most Detroit fans are looking for in their players. And maybe Bruce Brown, you know, the rookie, really seems to embody that as well. It's something that I think fans really, really crave and respect, even when the talent level isn't as high as they'd like it to be. Yeah, 100%. And if you, um, you know, if you're able to sustain that type of concentration, then the effort will follow the concentration. And so, Isaiah, one last question, if you could. You know, is there is there either a, a rivalry in today's NBA? You know, like two teams who might face face off in the playoffs, or uh, or even some players who are rivals who who, in, for you and through your perspective, kind of remind you of what you went through. You know, in the eighties. No, I, I don't think there's any team that will probably ever rival what we went through in the eighties in terms of rivalry. I mean, we gotta. I mean, think about this week. We were the only team during that period of time that had three rivalries. Uh, the Chicago Bulls, the Boston Celtics, and the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to beat. <laughs> I mean, those, 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 were, those were all rivals. Um, and I can't think of a team today that has um, one rival. Um, so I don't... And, and during our era of play, I don't think there was another team that had three rivals as intense as ours was. Um, so well, we were uh, we were pretty lucky. We were pretty lucky. I, I, I hope I hope a team never develops three rivals as 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 big a monster as we had. Chicago, <laughs> 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 Boston, the LA. Nobody has to go through that again. I mean, who, who would? I mean, to go through to go through Bird, Magic, and Michael Jordan, you know, a year after year after year. I mean, how much better could it get? How much harder could it get? Yeah, the, the, the second one. How much harder can it get? It wasn't better. <laughs> the me- the memories are better, but for you guys, it was certainly not easier. <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, I remember you limping during Game Six of the Finals uh, in '88, and uh, and that was the last thing I wanted to ask you. Probably one of my, and this is about mindset, really, Isaiah. I don't know if you've been asked to asked about that moment in this particular way, but from you know, from my lens as a mental coach, as someone who's very, you know, I'm in the field of mindset. Um, can you tell me a little bit about when you injured your ankle 
um, during that game, and you when you you know, walked on it and you felt how it felt, and you, you kind of had that moment where you realized that this is happening now. What was the predominant thought in your mind when that happened between the time that you injured it and the time that you went back out there to continue to play? I, I, I went back and I just um, I just thought about how how difficult it was to get to this point, and I, I was not going to succumb to injury. Um, and I and I just said to myself, I'm I'm gonna go out there and and try it and and the, and the rest um, you know the, the the basketball gods and the spirits and everything else took over I mean I can't I can't tell you how or, or what I just know that if somebody asked me to replicate and do that again I don't know if I could I doubt if I could I'm glad I did it, but I don't know what I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of sounds, Isaiah, like you were in a little bit of a trance, like where the possibility of not playing wasn't even an option. No, that wasn't an option. Um, I, I was going to figure out a way to play. Uh, I knew I wasn't at 100%. And so what I was trying to figure out during the course of the game was, what could I do and what I couldn't do, I just tried to stay away from. I knew I couldn't dribble the ball and get away from people. Um, so I, I just limited to what I could do, and I was catching and shooting. Well, you did it pretty well. Well, thank you. Sometimes you're lucky and sometimes you get blessed. And <laughs> I was definitely blessed during that moment. It absolutely looked like that. Do you, Isaiah? Did you ever have a better quarter on two good ankles? Uh, yeah. The 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 next year, um, I, I know actually in '90 um, against Portland, I think I got 23 in a quarter, but I didn't get 25 on one ankle. But I came close. I got 23, but I didn't get 25. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty close. It's pretty close. We'll call it. We'll call it a draw. Well, I okay. I hey, that. hey, like I said, thanks again. You know, you've been more than gracious with your time. Is there anything that you, you know, is there anything that you'd like to add? I mean, you say that you're a huge Pistons fan. You watch these games like we do. You know, where you roll over and hope that they go on a run. Is there anything that you you would tell Pistons fans today who are just you know just dying for a team that can contend? You know, and they've been watching you know, a, a, some really tough teams during the past decade or so. If you could speak to them directly, what might you say to them? I would say that I am just like you. I am hoping and praying and rooting for the Pistons. And um, I want them to win also. I really do. All right. Well, thanks again, Isaiah. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks for your time. I hope you enjoy watching the playoffs. I look forward to seeing you on TNT. Well, thank you, and go Pistons. Go Pistons, Isaiah.